You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Live Free Now show, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Today, as usual, we are broadcasting live over Facebook, YouTube, the Conscious Resistance Float, and DTube. And we, well, not DTube, DLive, whatever it's called. And today, I'm going to be talking about agorism revolutionary market anarchism, and I'm going to be talking about some strategies that we can utilize as liberty lovers, radical innovators, in order to find freedom in our lifetimes, or at least in our children's lifetimes, or their lifetimes. I have uh, been an activist since 2002, I would say, and for the past decade, I've been really concerned with how do we get from here to there. I did a whole lot of political activism, and the political activism, while we had what seemed like political victories, it wasn't satisfying for me. When we would have a victory, it would appear as though we were taking a step forward, when in reality, we were just slowing more steps backwards. We weren't actually creating more freedom in our lives. We were just slowing the growth of tyranny. And when I started to realize that, and understand how much time and energy and resources we were putting into the political activism with such little output, super high input, very little output, I began to explore alternatives. And it was around this time that I was introduced to agorism or revolutionary market anarchism, that philosophy and strategy espoused by Samuel Edward Konkin III and the New Libertarian Manifesto. And so we're going to talk about the New Libertarian Manifesto a little bit today, and I'm going to lay out a path that I think we can use to get from here to there. First, a little housekeeping. I want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast, livefreenow.show. You can go to livefreenow.show and check out the website. We got some blog action going on as well. All the latest episodes you'll be able to find there. And you can subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or Stitcher. Uh, There's even a blog. I've been writing some little posts and stuff, so... Great way to stay in touch with me over at livefreenow.show. And I'd also want uh, to shout out our sponsor, freeouncefkratom.com. This is kratom. It's a green powder made from the powderized leaves of the kratom evergreen tree. People take the green varieties for stress and anxiety. A lot of people are experiencing a whole lot of stress with the election. Uh, So that's the green varieties. The white varieties are good for focus, energy, and the red varieties are best for pain and relaxation. People take them to help with sleep and stuff. But you can go over to freeouncefkratom.com, claim your free ounce. All you got to do is pay $5 shipping and handling, and we will send you an ounce of green mangda, our most versatile type, to try just uh, for free. Just pay shipping. So that's freeouncefkratom.com. Okay, so lately I have been researching the Great Reset and the growth of technocracy. I picked up Patrick Wood's book on technocracy, which is super in-depth. And I also bought the COVID-19 Great Reset book by Klaus Schwab, who's the World Economic Forums guy. I also bought a copy of Agenda 21, the report that came out of the 1992 uh, Rio de Janeiro Earth Summit, where they created Agenda 21. And as I study this New World Order 2.0, which aims to create a global government that manages humans through technology and surveillance, I begin to understand how daunting the task that lies ahead of us truly is. I am someone that is seeking genuine freedom for myself and for my children and my community. Not half measures, not minarchism, not a limited government. I feel like Lord Acton said that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and As long as this institution exists, there are going to be people that are leveraging it and co-opting it and getting into power, even if they had good intentions, and then 
becoming these megalomaniacs, all sorts of stuff. But I, while I'm an idealist and an optimist, I also like to view things practically. And so I've never been a smash the state or overthrow the government type of anarchist. I think that a majority of the people that live within the United States, they want government or at least they don't want the level of responsibility and uncertainty that comes with a genuinely free society. Not that there's not uncertainty with a status society, but I think that as we plot our strategy and we vision for the future, we should expect that the state institution is going to continue to exist. As I said, people use it, they leverage it, they leverage it for their own self-interest, they are on uh, welfare programs, they get benefits from the state. The Republicans and Democrats, which are in control of the political institutions, or at least they have the semblance of control, when in reality it's the oligarchs that are in control, um, they aren't going to be doing away with government anytime soon. Even Ron Paul, like Ron Paul in 2007, 2008, and 2011, 2012, he developed this huge cult following, right? And people think that the election was stolen from him, but I don't think he ever would have been able to put up the type of numbers as far as actual votes to win an election. And again, that's because a lot of people aren't into total freedom or libertarianism. It's one of the reasons that the Libertarian Party has all sorts of problems in itself, uh, marketing problems in large part. Often they try to be conservative light rather than being radical and kind of waking people up out of their slumber like Ron Paul did. But one of the reasons why the Libertarian Party is so unsuccessful politically is, again, because a lot of people aren't into libertarianism. I wish that they were. We have our work cut out for us. There is a huge indoctrination that takes place from with America's youth, and they're made to worship the state and presidents and all sorts of stuff. So I'm pointing this out because, as I said, whenever we lay out our strategy and when, whenever we engage in activism, let's do so with the understanding that we need to figure out a way to peacefully coexist with the statists or within geographic areas that still where, where there's still a state. So I just want to paint the picture of kind of where we're at and some of the threats to liberty that we face. And then I will share how I believe we can best navigate those threats and create more freedom for ourselves, how we can find freedom in an unfree world to borrow from Harry Brown's book title. So the conventional threats to liberty, of course, are the state, that institution which enjoys a geographic monopoly on the initiation of violence and aims to control and regulate people in various ways, various aspects of their lives from their economics, financial life, to what they do in their bedroom and the energy they consume, all that stuff. And so that's what a lot of libertarians have concerned themselves with. How can we minimize government intrusion into our lives? And some would assume that using political channels is the best way to go about that. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about agorism as a better strategy, but I also want to point out that we are in a pretty multifaceted, multi-layered world where if liberty is your primary concern, there are other factors at play right now that threaten your liberty and privacy. And it's funny because there's a lot of like, I don't know, institutional, professional libertarians or whatever. I'm thinking about this one guy in particular that is, he's a libertarian, but he seems to pride himself on discounting and trash talking conspiracies. But as I've studied the Great Reset, which is the World Economic Forum's marketing program for rolling out a fourth industrial revolution, which is the merging of technology and biology. As I study that, I begin to realize that this these globalists, these social engineers, these technocrats, they in large part are certain while they're leveraging governmental institutions and mechanisms, they're also circumventing and doing an end run around those institutions in order to create this nightmare panopticon surveillance society. And so that's definitely something that strategically we ought to examine as well. And so let me just talk a little bit about that the Great Reset and the World Economic Forum. And I just kind of want to paint again, paint this picture of what it is that we're facing. 
And when you study these tax-exempt foundations and United Nations Agenda 21 and Great Reset and, and how far advanced they are in their efforts to create this new type of world and society, you, you know, some people might feel pessimistic or that the task is too great to try to find freedom in this world. But I do think that there is opportunity for that. And just to make it clear, the world that is being pushed, the type of societal changes that are being pushed by the World Economic Forum, United Nations, Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission, Bilderberg, all these global elites, oligarchs, it essentially is one where every aspect of your life and your energy output and energy input is going to be tracked and surveilled and controlled. Essentially, the world that these people want to create is a top-down control paradigm. They even want to shift away the traditional concept of what is financially or economically valuable, away from profits and using a unit of account or currency to measure profit, right, towards this strange resource-based economy where what's valued is the social value or social equity that you're outputting or the energy and carbon that you're outputting. And they want to shift things completely. It's this really crazy world that's like a dystopian world that they want to create. And technology is a huge part of it, as is drones and data and collecting all sorts of data. And then one of the aspects of this that's already underway is creating these financial markets that surround carbon credits, for example, cap and trade, where your company isn't allowed to, before you can output carbon to produce or manufacture goods, you have to first pay a fee for that. And then people will be placing bets on what these markets for carbon are going to look like. Another thing that has really blew my mind and that we covered on an interview with Julianne Romanello is these like human, it's, it's called uh, impact investing, where tax-exempt foundations will come in and they will invest in a community, public education, for example, and they're investing with the, it's called pay for success. They're investing on an outcome. And so let's say that they want to come in in a given geographic area or political jurisdiction, and they want to bring about a growth in certain industries. Let's say it's surveillance capitalism or drone delivery and dr the presence of drones. And so they'll go and invest in the youth of that area. And even in preschool, there's these things called P20, P20 pipelines, preschool to PhD programs. And they'll invest in the youth with the understanding that as the youth grow and go through public school, which is also receiving grants from the tax exempt foundations, they will um, learn traits and they will exhibit characteristics that will make them optimal cogs in the machine to go and fulfill and fill these seats in the industry that is being inflated and created through these taxes and foundations. And then once they come of age and they fulfill that role and they get a career in robotics or AI, that's what could be seen as a success. And so there's going to be these financial markets that are created around whether or not that outcome comes about or not. And people are going to place bets and they're going to go long and go short on that. There's going to be these financial markets around these impact investment, pay for success outcomes. It's a trip. But what it is that they're trying to further, they're not just doing this to make money. They're leveraging billions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars in tax exempt foundations to bring about their desired change and great reset of society, a new social contract, a new way that we examine value in financial markets, a new way that we interact with the earth, a new way that we interact with one another. And a lot of it, a lot of their language seems to have this nice shiny veneer as though it's a good positive thing for, they, they like to use poverty. We're going to help get people out of poverty. For example, in the city of Austin, they have this MyPass program where they're going to do blockchain biometric ID that they want to roll out. And a lot of it will go along with immunizations and they're going to do it for the homeless population so they can better receive social services and programs and put all their identifiable information and government IDs and their health records on this blockchain ID. They're using it, you know, it's supposed to be a good thing for the homeless people, people in poverty, but really they want to roll it out to everyone. 
so they try to have this positive outlook, this progressive look on it, when in reality, it's essentially like eco-fascism and this like surveillance communism. I don't know. It's dystopian stuff. That's the world that they want to create. And in order to do so, they want to largely do it through smart cities. So I just want to kind of set the stage for where I'm going with the strategy on what I foresee coming down the pike and what I think we can do about it. And to, to demonstrate that, there's this article that's really been on my mind lately. I've referenced it in previous videos. This is from the World Economic Forum's website. Welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. The World Economic Forum puts out propaganda like this. It gets covered on Washington Post and all sorts of uh, U.S. mainstream media outlets. And as you can see, this article came was published in November 11, 2016. So this is before COVID-19. This stuff was already under, under works. It's been under works for quite some time, this whole technocracy. Technocracy is a rule uh, and management of society by experts in technology and technocrats. And that's the type of governance control paradigm that we see being implemented uh, big time. And so the, the thing is, like, whether Donald Trump or Biden wins, it's looking like Biden's going to win. Trump's probably going to challenge it in the Supreme Court. Who knows how that's all going to play out? This is still going to continue to roll on. And this, the, the strategy of the globalists and these technocrats has been to circumvent the federal government in the United States and other national governments and circumvent state governments, although they often partner with the state governments in the cities and go straight to the city or straight to the schools through tax exempt foundations, through non-governmental organizations like the International Council of Local Environmental Initiatives. I'm saying that so you gain an understanding that politics isn't the solution or Joe Schmo versus Peter Rabbit in, in a public office race. That's not going to make much of a difference. This agenda is plowing forward. So let's talk about how we can avoid it. Well, this article, let me just read from it for a sec. Welcome to 2030. Welcome to my city, or should I say our city? I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you considered a product has now become a service. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all the things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all of these things became free. So it ended up not making sense for us to own much. Oh, man. Environmental problems seem far away. In our city, we don't pay any rent because someone else is using our free space whenever we do not need it. My living room is used for business meetings when I'm not there. Once in a while, I would choose to cook for myself. It is easy. The necessary kitchen equipment is delivered at my door within minutes. Since transport became free, we stopped having all those things stuffed into our home. Why keep a pasta maker and a crepe cooker crammed into our cupboards? We can just order them when we need them. And they talk about this concept of a circular economy, which sounds like it would be a permaculture principle to have an economy where you can recycle and reuse uh, goods and raw materials within the economy, right? But it's all about a control paradigm is really what it's what's all about. The death of shopping, they don't buy anything. All right, so here's, here's the big kicker. This is something that's been resonating with me and in large part inspired this video. So get this. They live different kinds of lives outside of the city. My biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city, those we lost along the way. Those who decided that it became too much, all this technology. Those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and AI took over big parts of our jobs. Those who got upset with the political system and turned against it. They live different kind of lives outside the city. Some have formed little self-supplying communities. Others just stayed in the empty abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. So as you can already see, the World Economic Forum is speculating and theorizing that there's going to be groups of people that do not go along with their Great Reset Fourth Industrial Revolution. There are going to be people that want to live outside of the city. Now, specifically in this context, when they talk about cities, they're talking about smart cities, which utilizes the... Uh, quick data transfer and analysis of 5G in order to create a city that is essentially omniscient, which means all-knowing, right? 
they literally want to track and catalog all sorts of stuff. There's even a program, a project out of Microsoft called the Planetary Computer, where they want to create this ultra sophisticated, super powerful supercomputer that tracks and catalogs and analyzes every single element of biodiversity on the planet. And this is hardcore. I think a lot of these elite, they reached a pinnacle financially where they have hundreds of millions and billions and billions of dollars and they have it all sheltered away in tax exempt foundations. And so they shifted their, their desires and their values from money to, and wealth to control. There's also this like social Darwinism aspect where a lot of these elites, they, you know, we, it wasn't very long ago where we had the divine right of Kings in this, in this world. And they believe that their position of privilege and stature is something that they're anointed with, or they're somehow superior to other human beings because they've managed to amass such wealth and power. And now it's their job to control other human beings. I think another element, as I spoke about in a previous podcast, is that they want to end the cycle of revolutions all throughout history. The masses have risen up, and or at least the remnant, and the masses go along as well. But people have risen up, overthrew existing power structures, put themselves in power. And I think that there's a the elite now are uniting with one another rather than warring like they were in World War II and the Cold War. There's still elements, different factions, of course, right? The China and Russia, but the Anglo-American establishment, the Western elite that rose out of the Cecil Rhodes scholarship and the Milner Group, and they created the International Institute of Royal Affairs, the Royal Interna International Institute of Royal Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations, its counterpart in the United States of America. And then the Trilateral Commission came along with Zbigniew Brzezinski, who wrote this book, Between Two Ages, where he talked about technocracy uh, technocratic age, he called it. They don't want to fight with each other anymore. They want to combine forces and support one another synergistically to create this dystopian top-down control grid. And so we see the World Economic Forum is already visioning those that aren't going to go along with it. So what I want to spend the rest of the podcast talking about is what we can do on an individual level, but also on a collective level as agorists and activists to ensure that as this nightmare dystopia is being created, not only are we going to expose it for what it is, right, through alternative media, documentaries, Bros has this great little short on the Great Reset, and try to chip away at their veneer of progressivism and show, show it for what it really is. You know, not only are we going to do that, but we are going to take active steps in our life now to lay the groundwork for the future so that when the future comes along, we are in a greater position of power to realize our inherent sovereignty and try to do so even though this nightmare future is being created all around us. Let's not lose sight of the fact that the earth is a big giant space and there's a lot of room on this earth. And surely it doesn't have to be a 110% prison planet where everyone is bought into this thing. There's opportunity in areas where people can still live free, right? Like the free men beyond the wall, except we'll do it in class and style. So um, the first thing that we can do is uh, to get our houses in order. You know, one of the most important things is to have your ducks in a row. If you can, to have some some wealth or an income or savings that afford you opportunities. Oftentimes, when people are living paycheck to paycheck or struggling or deep in a hole, uh, it makes it difficult when the time comes to buy that piece of land as part of an intentional community or to take that trip down to Mexico and leave your job, right? So when I say get your house in order, I mean, make sure that people are capable of freeing themselves. And sometimes financial freedom helps give you more choices. Not to mention people are healthy, people are prepared, people have their own little preparedness stash. 
storable foods, firearms, get ready, be prepared, right? Then the next thing that we ought to do is to find the remnant, find the others. I did a podcast a couple shows ago about this awesome essay by Albert J. Nock, who was an early 20th century libertarian philosopher. And the essay talks about Isaiah's job, the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah was tasked by the Lord with going out and giving hope to the remnant. And he got disillusioned at first because people weren't listening to him when he spoke the gospel and shared the word of the Lord. And he came back and was like, what's up? Why? This seems like it's doomed to failure. The masses aren't listening to me. And the Lord was like, well, this isn't for the masses. This is for the remnant, that tiny group of people that are going to pick up the pieces of society when everything comes crashing down and build anew, right? So what's important for us to do is to find the others, find people that think like we do. One of the distinctions that Albert J. Nock says, he talks about Plato making this distinction and other historians and philosophers throughout history, distinction between the masses and the remnant is that a lot of the masses aren't even capable of grasping some of these complex problems and some of these deeper principles like individual liberty or sovereignty or self-governance. And so there's so many people that are focused on winning elections and winning people over and arguments and debates on Facebook, which I myself am guilty of, when in, at the end of the day, there's just a whole lot of people that have been socially engineered with ideas ingrained in their heads that we need a government. We need a protector predator class of police and law enforcement. We need to elect people to go make decisions on our behalf in Washington, D.C., right? There's a lot of people that it, they're not even capable of the vision needed to conceptualize an alternative means of organizing society that is something that they've never experienced before, never learned about before, right? So there's all these people that are just wholeheartedly caught up in the idea that we need a government and our people that believe like we do and share our values and policy priorities, they need to be in control of that. And it boggles my mind with the division that we're experiencing in this country. That is the division that's being experienced in this country because I'm not like I'm just chill. I want to make more friends and whatever. But it's like the election is so seemingly close. If you forget about the the accusations of fraud and so on and so forth. No matter what, it's still pretty damn close, even if it's 55-45 or 60-40 or 58-42 or 48-52. It just seems like such a busted concept that such a big group of people would have to live under the authority and policies of one person or one party when they're wholeheartedly opposed to that. And even though we find ourselves in that circumstance with the 2020 election with so many people pissed off or afraid of the prospect of this guy getting in office or this guy getting in office again, nobody's even capable. It doesn't even cross their mind to think, whoa, maybe we don't have to live that way. What if there's a different way to live? What if there's a better way to live where we can be more harmonious with our fellow human beings that happen to occupy this geographic area? Some people think, well, the law doesn't allow for that or this, that or the other. Well, I want and I want to encourage you to go out and find those people that are thinking outside of the ballot box, that are thinking outside of the statist box and find those people, not only find those people, but get to know them, build community with them, build trust with them. And once you find them, I encourage you to get organized. And that's exactly what we're doing with the Freedom Cell Network. We have really grown the Freedom Cell Network in the past five months, ever since COVID popped off. The Freedom Cell Network has seen immense growth. I'll be doing videos about it several months ago. And it's like the 2,000 people in the Freedom Cell Network. And then sure enough, a few months later, now we're up to over 5,000. Now we have over 6,000 people that are involved. So I want to strongly encourage you to go to freedomcells.org, register on the website. You can put in your address or an address of the park down the road or a coffee shop. And you can find, you can use our member map to see if there's people in your area. Well, the Freedom Cell Network, people are organizing in small little inner cadre groups. We're around eight people, optimal number for creativity, working together on common goals. Then you link up with other inner cadre groups of around eight people in your area and your city. Before you know, it, you have around 64 people. Then you link up with other middle cadre groups. That's the middle cadre, eight groups of eight that are 
building across the country and across the globe. And like I said, we have over 6,000 people that are participating, expressing interest in participating and organizing. And so once you find, you get your house in order, you find the others, the remnant, those that will pick up the pieces and build anew, and then you get organized, you link up. And that's what we hope to offer with the Freedom Cell Network. As the Freedom Cell Network grows, so too does our strength in numbers. And I believe strength in numbers is a very important phenomenon for people that are seeking to live free in an unfree world. Um, it's through this strength in numbers, as I'll discuss in a little bit, that I, I hope that we have the leverage to opt out of this control paradigm and, and not participate. So once you're organized and you've found people and you're forming these little groups, then you've already got your house in order. Now you can work on getting your houses in order and y'all can work together to come up with plans to uh, go train and use firearms, learn how to use them safely and proficiently to defend yourself and your family and your community. You can get your hands dirty working together with folks in your group, building gardens. And, oh, there's a group of eight people. One of them's a master gardener. They've been gardening for the past 20 years. They grew up on a farm. They're going to help the other seven people. Or there's now there's like six groups of eight in a given area. They're going to host skill shares. So they're all going to come together and do perma blitzes and grow food together. This is how this organization can help one another. It doesn't have to be the Freedom Cell Network. It can be whatever. It can be a small group. It can be a gun club. It could be a gardening club. But the point is, find like-minded human beings. Let's come together and let's start preparing and creating self-sufficiency. Okay? That's one thing that I really want to hammer home. That's really important. When people are dependent on the state, then the state has control and power over them. And one of the ways that the state is going to manipulate people into going along with the COVID vaccine, for example, or the real ID, national ID card with biometric information and an RFID chip on it, is by threatening to take away privileges. And so when you are told that you can't enter the grocery store in your city, in your smart city, because you don't have a COVID immunity passport green light or you haven't taken the COVID vaccine, all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I got to eat. Maybe I should consider taking the vaccine. But if you have foreseen this coming down the pike, like many people have been just pounding away on alternative media and social media, then you would be inclined to go ahead and prepare to preempt that. So when you don't need the grocery store because you and your middle cadre group of around 64 people in a given area have already created the food production needed to feed the entire group and the children, then when they say you can't go into this store unless you have a COVID immunity pass green light on your smartphone app or your wearable biomedical technology, then you can say, you know what, to hell with you. We saw this coming and we don't want to go to your grocery store or use your hospital, for example. So it's at this point we've we've got our house in order. We're giving ourselves more opportunity through finances, through having things orderly, through getting rid of a whole bunch of junk. So we're not leaving important stuff behind through eating well, through being fit. Um, we found the others. Not only have we found the others in the remnant, but now we're organized We've worked on common goals. We're starting to be prepared. We're starting to become self-sufficient as a community where we can trade amongst ourselves. And to borrow this, the great reset term, we're having a circular economy where we trade amongst ourselves and support one another. Now we start to begin to build the alternatives, right? We build the alternatives. And one of the great alternatives that we can develop is a, a health share program. And so what I'm foreseeing, how we get from here to there, is we link up, network, organize with like-minded people who want nothing to do with the new paradigm, who want nothing to do with the old paradigm of the state and coercion and monopolies. And we start building our own social institutions infrastructure, alternative organizations, parallel institutions. 
And as I was saying, one of the things that the powers that be are, are going to do is take away privileges or try to put pressure on you in order to get you to comply with A, B, or C. So for example, this is something that Jack Spierko talks about on when we do our Unloose the Goose podcast, unloosethegoose.com. One of the great mechanisms for them to apply pressure and incentivize you to get the COVID vaccine will perhaps be through health insurance. Maybe some of these big health insurance players, definitely the government ones like Medicaid and Medicare, they'll say, well, if you don't have your COVID immunity or you don't take your COVID vaccine, then you're going to see your insurance rates go up because we anticipate if you're not immune, then you could get sick and cost us more money. Or if you don't get your COVID immunity passport green light, or you don't sign up for this contract tracing app, or you don't get the COVID vaccine, then you can't have public health benefits through this Medicaid program, right? So again, what I'm trying to encourage people to do is to think ahead. What mechanisms are being rolled out? What mechanisms have already been rolled out that those in power are going to utilize and leverage in order to bring about compliance, in order to bring about participation in this technocratic future that they have planned for us. And knowing that, how can we navigate around that? How can we circumvent those plays? So it's like a lot of the stuff that's being put out by the United Nations World Economic Forum and all these Illuminati types uh, it's like an open conspiracy. Earlier, I talked about how the masses aren't even capable of grasping a lot of this stuff. So they just put it out there for the world to see. And so few people actually go and read their documents or purchase the great COVID-19 Great Reset book with its chapter, The Return of Big Government, or purchase the big thick Agenda 21 Earth Summit manual, right? Or do the deep dive research to understand the nature of technocracy and how it's being rolled out. So few people even do that. It's an open conspiracy. So we have the information needed to formulate a project what they're going to be bringing out and rolling out. And we can figure out now how we can navigate around that. And that's one of the big things that Freedom Cells hopes to do. But when it comes to health insurance, so as we grow in numbers, we start rolling out our own social institutions, our own service providers. So for example, a health share. I currently have a health share program. I don't have the statist expensive health insurance, Obamacare or whatever. It's like $208 a month. If there's an emergency, then I pay out of pocket up to $1,000. It's kind of like a, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, th throws me off right now what you call that. Uh, not the copay, but the deductible. It's kind of like a deductible. So you pay up to $1,000 and then everything else is 100% covered. And that's great for me because I don't have medication. I don't go to a primary care doctor. I don't even have a primary care doctor. I have a naturopath, but it's just for emergencies, car accident, something crazy happening, whatever. And so that's totally private. It's not part of the government health insurance. So there's not as many regulations on this health share market. And so what I'm foreseeing is when we have, you know, 25,000 people, 50,000 people in the Freedom Cell Network. Again, the cool thing about the Freedom Cell Network is that we have this social infrastructure that it can grow in numbers and it can scale and it scales horizontally rather than scaling vertically, adding the need for bureaucracy and governors and regulators to, to make sure everything's working properly, right? It's, it's like a self-fulfilling uh, entity that can learn on its own and have, it's all respecting the individual, but the whole body takes on a life of its own as well. Never being, never having primacy over the individual, I should say. There's a lot of philosophies that put the greater good of the group above the individual. And we like to say freedom cells are all about collective action for the benefit of the individual. And so imagine, well, I also want to point out that there's a great decision-making mechanism in place so that when we have 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 people in the freedom cell network, rather than having to have your representative in Washington make a vote that affects you back at home, we can use consensus-based decentralized decision-making in order to make decisions. And one of those decisions that we could potentially make is we think we have enough people that are interested and we want to go ahead and roll out our own health share. Whether we contract with an existing health share company to get a bulk rate, whether we form an actual LLC or legal entity 
that the mem maybe a cooperative that the members of the Freedom Cell Network own, or whether it's some smart contract decentralized uh, decentralized autonomous organization that lives on a blockchain, we can start to have these institutions. So we're no longer needing the institutions, the legacy institutions, right? Another thing would be dispute resolution. A lot of people go to courts, civil courts in order to deal with stuff. I've found myself wrapped up in lawsuits. It's not an ideal way to figure things out. And so we can have our own dispute resolution mechanisms in place. Essentially, what I'm trying to convey is that we don't have to rely on the existing institutions that have not been serving us. We can build our own and we ought to build our own. And many people already are. Okay, before I get to one of the things that seems to be more controversial, but I think it's really important, um, I just want to talk about a great compromise strategy. So we have some a couple comments here. Tanya Benson's following along. This is for the live audience. If, if you watch us live and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel to see when we're going live, then uh, you can participate and ask questions and stuff, uh, or you could catch the podcast after the fact. You can always leave comments on the podcast post on the libfreenow.show, and I'll be sure to respond to them. Tanya Benson asks, would barter be incorporated in the freedom cell idea? Of course it would. Barter is a very excellent means of fulfilling your wants and needs. Now, in a big expanded economy, I do genuinely believe that there is a need for a medium of exchange, a certain type of money, not Federal Reserve notes, right? But we could have our own type of money. But in most instances, if it's the guy that has the cow with the milk and you have the chicken with the eggs, you trade a gallon of milk for a dozen eggs. Barter is a great way to avoid and defy the state as well. So yes, barter networks are all par for the course when it comes to the Freedom Cell uh, network. But we can also have sophisticated trade and financial markets amongst ourselves as well for people that want to get that, do that. And it's not like everything needs to go this way in the Freedom Cell network or everything needs to go that way. There could be people that are organized in their neck of the woods or their Freedom Cell groups are networked together and they like to do barter. And they like to keep things small. They like to live small and live off the earth. They don't like to have a lot of possessions. They don't like to have all sorts of money. They just like to do their own thing. David Kippenchuk says, Bush bucks. And I don't know about all that, but you know, some people, there's all sorts of like time bank currencies and people can issue their own currency and then trade it. And there's like a promise to pay back with labor or value or exchange for whatever. I don't know exactly what it'll look like. Um, I know that I like cryptocurrency, but the important thing is that people are working together and they're using their own infrastructure and own institutions, and we're all opting out of those institutions. So here's a great uh, middle path. In fact, let me just get to the other part. Okay, so as we're building these alternative institutions, healthcare alternatives, we have our own naturopaths, we have our own surgeons even, um, we have our own health share that we've built. We have our own arbitration systems. We have our own food production and trade networks and seed banks, right? Well, one of the biggest ones that I think is going to be important is an alternative institution of security, right? And this is something that Samuel Edward Konkin talks about in the New Libertarian Manifesto. He says, the new libertarian activists must keep in mind that actual defense against the state is impossible until the counter economy has generated the syndicates of protection agencies sufficiently large to defend against the remnant of the state. This will occur only at the phase transition between the third and fourth steps leading back from statism, from our statism to agorism. New Libertarian Manifesto is a great little piece of literature. It's not that long, but he lays out these different phases of agorist density, and he's very you know, future forward thinking about how we can go from here to there. Very inspirational. And I think that's we as, as activists, if you already understand the philosophy of liberty, you've done the deep dive on Austrian economics or whatever, it doesn't even have to be that type of economics. But I think really what's the most important thing is where the rubber meets the road and how we can get from here to there. That's what this particular episode has been all about. So as our, as we grow in numbers, let's say now we have 50,000 people in the United States that are participants in the Freedom Cell Network. And we have a mechanism in place where we can make decisions as a group. And it's consensus-based. So if one inner cadre group or middle cadre group doesn't want to go along with this particular decision or program, they don't want to contribute, then they don't get the benefits from that program, but they can still remain allied and networked with the group. 
Okay, so let's say we have 50,000 people. I don't know what the number will be, but when you have a whole lot of people and we got our house in order and there's people that have expendable income, we can start financing a private security agency that defends our group, right? This will make it even easier to accomplish if we have close geographic proximity. So a lot of these things are all going to be taking place at the same time. So another thing that I wanted to talk about was coming together and acquiring large swaths of property so we can create our own eco-villages, intentional communities, free cities. And when we do so, let's say that we have 1,200 people that live across a given region or a given geographic area, and those 1,200 people are split up. Some of them still live in the residential neighborhoods, but a bunch of them have purchased land or renting land or have a work share program or whatever. Maybe there's wealthy benefactors. They just acquire the land and people can live there if they work the land or whatever. And those eco-villages, intentional communities are kind of networked into a confederation of agorist little enclaves. And some of them, they have learned to defend themselves and they can use martial arts, they can use self-defense, they can use firearms, and they know how to uh, utilize these tactical approaches to protecting themselves, their family, and their community. In addition to that, these groups have funded private security agencies that have been hired to protect the agorists, right? And so now imagine we are growing our own food, we're taking care of our own health care, we have our own health shares, we have our own arbitration. Now we have our own defense. We're creating a situation where we really don't need to be involved with the state. Okay? So earlier I talked about these two different threats to liberty, the existing paradigm of state governments, which a lot of people know about. And then the other is this new paradigm of technocracy and global control and panopticon surveillance, fourth industrial revolution. Well, I'm pretty sure the fourth industrial revolution types want to control everyone and they're so egotistical and crazy that they won't be happy about people living outside the city. But we see in that little essay, like I talked about, my biggest concern are that there's different people that that don't they don't live in the city. So who's to know if this techn technocratic society with like communist roots, eco-fascist roots would want to go line people up against the wall that don't want to participate or live in the smart city or if they're just like whatever, you guys can do whatever the hell that you want. You're the free men beyond the wall. Just don't bother our people. I don't know. But I do so what I'm thinking is when we have all of this infrastructure, when we have the security forces and the defense, then it makes it easier to effectively opt out, right? So from the fourth industrial, the new world order 2.0 mindset, perhaps they'll just leave us alone. I doubt it. But what we do know now is that the existing state paradigm is one where they have jurisdiction over the entire continental United States of America and Alaska, and Hawaii, and Guam, Puerto Rico, and all that stuff. So at this point, we ex there exists a reality where legally, you can't just opt out or go live out in the woods, right? Legally, and I do legally in air quotes, because I know there's going to be people get me on the de jure, de facto, sovereign citizen, public of Texas, the United States of America, whatever, incorporated. I, I hear all that. Now, you can go disappear, right? Or live small. Or like when we went to the Midfest in Spavanaugh, Oklahoma with the Oklahoma agorists and we did this little Midfest Liberty Festival, I met some people that are like genuine agorists. They don't even fly. They're like wholehearted agorists. They just kind of opt out, right? But it's difficult to do that on a large scale. It's difficult to scale that type of thing unless, as I've said, we've done these steps, we've built all this stuff. But here's a potential future. What this fourth industrial revolution, what the Great Reset aims to do is dramatically alter the nature of government as we know it. They aim to do this is something that Julianne Romanello talked about on the interview that I did with her. 
in large part, the state government, the state government is an institution that threatens the Great Reset because, you know, if it's Democrats are run by communists, <laughs> progressives, a lot of those Democrats, especially in California, they're wholeheartedly bought in. Even in the city of Austin is run by very left leaning uh, social Democrats, Democratic socialists. Uh, some of them are like freaking communists, these guys. And so they are participating with the International Council of Local Environmental Initiatives. They have like the Austin Technology and Information Department, which and that's not the exact name, but they're getting grants from tax exempt foundations to roll out fourth industrial revolution type programs at the city level, right? And so what the globalists, what the powers that wish they were, what the technocrats want to do is figure out a way to usurp authority from state governments, from legislative bodies, from the federal government, so they can have their rule by technology and rule by experts. Now, there's some strategic opportunities there, right? Like I, I don't want to align myself with the government or I would never want to align myself with the Republican Party, although I was back in 2007, 2008. But it's a good thing in part when a lot of these Republicans and conservatives, they're like the old school John Birch Society type situation where they recognize this new world order plan. They see it as like an undercover communist plot and they try to object to it, oppose it, push through legislation. You know, this has happened before in this country, right? There's been efforts to expose the Agenda 21 at the local level, so on and so forth. But the point that I was trying to make is that it's possible if the Great Reset is as successful as World Economic Forum, UN types, the Rockefellers want it to be, that they essentially will erode away the existing constitutional institutions that we have in this country or the parliamentary forms of government that they have in other countries. And in doing so, I don't know what the tax paradigm will look like per se. I guess, you know, I'm just trying to speculate and formulate in my mind what this could look like as we move forward, because we need to be conscious of all possible outcomes so we can figure out how we're going to carve out our agora right there. Old Derek Bro says temporary autonomous agoras. Yeah. And permanent agoras all day long. We need to be conscious of what the political landscape is going to look like. So. My point in that was that we eventually are going to either want to have a public opt out. It's all strategic, right? I'm way ahead of myself too when I talk about a lot of this stuff because we have some time to, before we can grow our strength in numbers where people will feel comfortable saying wholeheartedly we're opting out, we're declaring our independence. That's one strategy. And then we send in negotiators, ambassadors. We have 50,000 people. They intend to opt out and no longer participate in these institutions. Perhaps there can be a compromise where we will contribute to the gasoline tax or whatever. Who knows what all that's going to look like? Who knows what the future holds even when it comes to gasolines or private automobiles? A big part of Agenda 21, a big part of the Great Reset is to do away with the private automobile. That's why we see local initiatives and bond measures that are remaking transportation and they are purposefully disincentivizing the use of automobile in order to incentivize people to use public transportation. So that's a whole part of it. When you're in your car, you're free, man. You can hit the open road, assuming there's not checkpoints or internal checkpoints in the United States of America. You can hop in your ride and you can put some tunes on. You can cruise. But if they do away with the private automobile, then you have to rely on public transportation. And as I said earlier, one of their mechanisms for controlling people is taking away privileges and trying to pressure you into complying with the COVID vaccine, for example. And so if your only means of going to visit your Nana is through using public transportation and you don't have your COVID vaccine, and they're like, well, hold on, you need a green COVID pass in order to make it through on this public bus or whatever, or this smart rail, then uh, some people are gonna think twice. We need to carve our way out. So I'm trying to formulate and speculate what is it going to look like to opt out. Another strategy is the shadowy agorist that's just like, we're going to go ahead and start doing all this stuff now. And we're going to position ourselves in areas that are minimal purview of the state, right? Bros is doing a project down in Mexico uh, in some mountainous areas. 
think it's in Michoacan. And, you know, the cartels have carved out authority in Mexico. The state, the federal government especially, isn't as strong as they would like to be in the country of Mexico. So you got to think about areas. Somebody was tuned in, I think earlier, I called somebody on the phone, and that's what it was. They were in um, Missouri. You know, like think about Missouri and the Ozark Mountains and Eastern Oklahoma, where we went to this little conference, this Liberty Fest, or West Texas, or wherever. But I think that we ought to try to find some areas, some regions that we can call our own. And we can start carving out a little space for us to be outside the city, unmolested by this whole statist paradigm. And in order to do that, we're going to need strength in numbers. We're going to need to be able to defend ourselves. We're going to need to have the skills necessary and the institutions built so that we can live a good life. One thing that I also hope will happen is, and again, this little bit of this World Economic Forum little uh, paragraph here just has me all thinking a lot. They live different kinds of lives outside the city. My biggest concern is all the people who do not live in our city, those we lost on the way. Those who decided that became too much, all this technology. Those who felt obsolete and useless when robots and AI took over big parts of their jobs, of our jobs. Those who got upset with the political system and turned against it. They live different kinds of lives outside the city. Some have formed little self-supplying communities. Others just stayed in the empty abandoned houses in small 19th century villages. So when people to think on that and meditate on that, like they just lined out where I'm going to be. They just lined out where a lot of people already are. We're going to be outside of the smart city. But here's where some hope lies. And this is why maybe they won't just leave us alone. And maybe they want to line us up and take us out communist style or fascist style, the agitators and the disruptors and the people that aren't going along. This, of course, is just their nice, shiny propaganda. But what I hope is that we have carved out our little agora. And it's not some shanty town. It's not us roughing it in the woods, although if people want to do that, that's fine. That's probably a nice level of freedom. But we have futuristic free cities. We, too, have eco-cities and eco-villages. Some of the places can have be futuristic free private cities with skyscrapers even. And it's outside of the purview of this technocracy. I find it hard to believe that this agenda will be able to hold control and dominion over the entire entirety of the United of the world of the earth. There's going to be these alternatives that have managed to position themselves to exist. I did a episode a while back where I talked about free private cities, which like is a company that runs the government of the city and provides the services. And there's a contract between the company and the individual, the customer, right? And there's a mechanism of correction. If you don't like it, then you could throw out the whoever, or you can just leave, right? And there's competition to get a new position. Maybe there's multiple free cities that free private cities that are competing against one another, right? Then there's Seasteads. There's this project that's linked up with the Seasteading Institute forget the name of it. I should interview these guys though. But they are going to be buying, or maybe they already bought, old sh uh, cruise liners, old big cruise ships that are going out of business because of the damn COVID lockdowns. And they're currently doing a bid. People are bidding on a space, on a suite in this seastead that's going to have fitness facilities and health facilities and all sorts of stuff there so there's another alternative right there right seasteads people whether it's a ship that can move or it's just docked outside of a nice friendly jurisdiction or there's whole floating cities with all these different pods and farms that are on the ocean there's all sorts of technology and development in this space it just hasn't really been brought about just yet but it's on the horizon you know, Ernie Hancock, who's a total badass, he has this shirt. I'm not wearing it now. I wear it often. But it's like instead of off the grid, it's above the grid. And it's this picture of this pirate. They're all about pirates there in Phoenix, Arizona, their little crew there. And it's a picture of this big giant plane, this big giant airship that people will live on. And it's like, OK, the whole United States, the whole world, the whole United Nations is – this whole technocratic nightmare, it's like, all right, well, we got our Bitcoin billionaires and our wealthy folks and we developed, we built our own ship and we're going to space, baby. Or we're going to go up with Elon Musk and colonize a portion of Mars. 
I don't know. But what I do know is that I don't want to live in a nightmare dystopia. I don't want my children to live in a nightmare dystopia where they're tracked and traced and controlled. To the contrary, I want them to experience freedom and privacy that I never experienced in my life. They already have a leg up and advantage. They don't have social security numbers, so that's a benefit. They're not going to be part of this blockchain identity where all their health records are stored from day one and they're controlled with their biomedical device and their social credit score can be turned on and turned off. So what I interest myself in, what I like to focus on as the title of this podcast is how we get from here to there. So I want to encourage people. Again, I laid out some some loose steps. Get your house in order. Do everything you can to have financial freedom, to be healthy, minimize your junk, your stuff, be able to take off on a whim if you need to, give yourself the financial resources necessary to have more choices so where you're not stuck, you can bug out, you can go down to Mexico and join the community there, you can contribute to a down payment to acquire a piece of property with your friends to build your own community. Find the others, their strength and number. Focus on the remnant, not the masses. The masses can't even grasp a lot of the shit that we've covered in this show. They don't understand the non-aggression principle or individual sovereignty. They don't care to. They're too busy with their life. Or maybe not even intellectually capable of understanding it. So find those that are capable and that those that are ready and willing to do something. Get organized with these folks. I invite you to join the Freedom Cell Network. We've created an institution, a social organization that has over 6,000 people. You can get involved at freedomcells.org. Work on common goals with your little groups. Uh, start growing your own food, having storable food, learning how to use firearms, eating healthy, getting spiritually active, all sorts of stuff. Build the alternatives, health share, health care, arbitration, and ultimately security forces that can defend us, whether it's the people that are trained tactically to defend their community or we and or we hire private security forces. And then we got to go start carving out our little pieces of earth, an agora here, an agorist enclave there, a free private city over here, the seasteads near Panama, folks that are taking rocket ships all the way to outer space and just floating in orbit, building societies up there. We got to start thinking big people because the enemies of liberty, they have been thinking big for quite some time and they are far ahead of us. They are advanced. They have been conspiring for over a hundred years, multiple centuries, and they pass on this plan to their posterity. And they have money in tax-exempt foundations, and they are dramatically shifting civilization, not for the better, for the worst. So I'm going to take a couple more comments, then we're going to leave it there. We're right at about an hour. If you have a city, Ty Wiggle says, if you have a city, you will need a military force to defend it from other cities. They're not going to leave you alone, especially if you are prosperous. It is too dangerous of an example, and the citizens of other cities will jump ships. That cannot be allowed. No, I hear you. That's why, as I was saying, when we have the strength and numbers necessary, all the while, the people of our communities are learning to defend themselves tactically. And again, we're not a violent society, but it's more of like a fuck around and find out or a self-defense, non-aggression principle type situation. In addition to self-defense within the community, as our numbers are 25,000, 50,000, we can utilize our decentralized consensus-based decision-making through blockchain allocation of funds or just good old-fashioned dollars or whatever to hire private security forces that not only protect the community from external aggressors, but private aggressors, but protect the community from public aggressors when we inevitably opt out in mass or we just have been opting out the whole time and the tax man or the local county regulator comes to be like, hey, you can't do that. It's like, well, we are doing that and we're not going to stop doing that. We're peaceful people. Now you can speak with our security manager here and goodbye. All right, so that's it. This has been the Live Free Now show. I didn't do a podcast earlier this week, so I thought I'd sneak one in Friday before the weekend comes. So I'm going to try to get more on a regular schedule. I really do appreciate everyone that tunes in live on the Facebook, the YouTube, the DLive, and the Float. And I appreciate folks that are listening on the podcast. If you're not subscribed on the podcast, obviously people can't listen to the podcast live because I produce it after I do the live show. But if you're not subscribed on the podcast, those of you that are tuned in on Facebook and YouTube, I strongly encourage you and invite you 
to go over to livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show, and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, or Stitcher. I'd love to stay in contact with you. As you know, Big Tech, YouTube, and Facebook are censoring left and right. The latest censorship is for people that are pro-Trump and that are talking about all the election fraud and stuff. I never got into that, so I guess I missed that little boat. I'm, I'm not a victim of censorship in that regard, but I have a feeling as we continue to talk about the COVID vaccine, and the Great Reset rollout, that's going to be something that's most definitely on the radar of all Zuckerberg and Alphabet Company and Google and stuff. So follow me at the podcast, LiveFreeNow.show. All right, this is John Bush. My name Live Free. I want to encourage you to think big. Think outside the box. Join me in being a visionary. We need more people to have future forward thinking about how we're going to go from here to there, how we're going to carve out our little place where we can live free, unmolested by the state, unmolested by the technocrats. That's what's important to me. If it's important to you, join me. We can link up, message me, comment, check out livefreenow.show and check out freedomcells.org, freedomcells.org. I'm out. Peace. Thanks for tuning in, guys.